Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sing, Batter, Sing. And I'm Kales. I am a big theater nerd. I'm John Michael. I like baseball. It's fun. I've been calling you like a baseball fan on social media. Baseball like I'm bro. Call me a baseball bro. You could be bro. a baseball bro if you wanted to be a baseball bro. That's <laughs> I, am, I am a baseball bro. Just own it. All right, cool. Then I'm a theater geek. He's a baseball bro. We're siblings. And this is a podcast where we teach each other about our special interests of uh, theater and baseball. And so we it's take turns. Broadway so. meets baseball, everybody. We're not allowed to use that phrase, remember? Oh. Somebody else uses it. It's it's. We're bonding can, over can Broadway we, and baseball. Can we buy it off him? I don't think so. He has a pretty established <laughs> podcast. <laughs> hey, so. can we buy it for our less established podcast? <laughs> Please. No. Okay, it's fine. a pretty we're cool bonding. podcast. We're bonding over Broadway and baseball. Bonding over Broadway and baseball. That's how it works. So I'm so excited. I I was researching this one, and I was just. Like the amount of shit I found out about it and how in depth, like I ordered a book off of Prospector to read later and to learn more stories with. And I'm oh, that's how I'm fascinated you were by it, huh? You need I know. I was like book. I was thrilled. Uh I didn't I didn't buy it. I got it from the library. <laughs> so you as know, you I'm should being, in your field I know, I'm being work, better about you it. Should. I don't need to add to the nine bookcases in my office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready? I'm ready, dude. Hit me. Okay. I'm so ready. I'm ready for... If you're this excited, I'm pumped. Okay. Did you know that there was a Broadway show so controversial that a case against it made it all the way to the Supreme Court? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't... So I... To be completely honest, I don't actually know how common knowledge this particular story is because um, I kind of had to dig deep to find this. Okay. Um, so, because I was going through, I have a bunch of things that I want to share with you and and I have a lot of options and I was just like, I really don't feel like digging into any of these today. And so for some reason, this story popped up in my research and I was like, hang on, I know that musical. I want to know more about it. I want to know more about this deal. And it was really hard to find actually. Um, but I started looking and found some, went through like newspapers.com and found like old newspaper articles and stuff from... Uh, the 1960s and the 1970s, and I was just like research whoring this up. It was so great. I'm excited. That's so, cool. Yeah. So, have you ever heard of the musical Hair? <laughs> no, they're just so. I, isn't it? Oh, wait, 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 wait. It's like I'm so vaguely, but like no hairspray. That's totally different. no. That's hairspray. No. Yeah, I know, no. close. That's okay. Yeah, they're no. not the same thing in the slightest just such weird names musicals and they just have such weird names okay yeah they do just wait <laughs> um so many so many so many weird names but so hair is uh a musical um it premiered on broadway in 1968 the book and lyrics were by uh jerome Regini and james rando ran rado excuse me and music was by galt mcdermott um so i'm gonna send you a quick uh, excuse link. me galt <laughs> Galt McDermott. <laughs> How do you spell that? G A L T. I am assuming it rhymes with Walt. So Galt. <laughs> or Galt. Or Galt. Galt. No, I like Galt. Galt is better. Galt is better. Okay, Galt, sorry. Galt is better. So, okay. Like so me. I'll give you a summary of hair. It is, it's like log line or it's tagline is like hair, the American tribal love rock musical. Okay. American tribal love rock musical. So it's set in the late 1960s um, against the backdrop of the Vietnam War. Okay. And it's about a tribe. Right. That in air quotes of young people. And it's basically their commentary on their world at the time. The main characters, I guess you can call them, are Claude and Berger. And they're main members of the tribe that you follow. But the the essentially the whole first act is this like amalgamation of political statements done through song, right? They cover race, pollution, the government, politics, drugs, fascism, sex. And it's all sung through wow. different perspectives of the members of their tribe, right? Okay. One of the biggest plot points in it is when Claude's parents cut him off fiscally and they give him his draft notice for the Vietnam War because in mm. Vietnam, men were drafted. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't get a choice. They talk about sex a lot. And so there's like a lot of romantic and sexual relationships throughout the tribe. And there's this moment where men pay tribute to the American flag by destroying it on stage and uh 
eventually the men like burn their draft cards but claude throughout the show he very much struggles with like being invisible and finding his way and he like doesn't really know if is he supposed to go is he supposed to stay he's very confused and as so, many men during that time felt yeah so claude definitely represents that uh, act one ends with the whole tribe like burning their draft cards they come out naked with just like beads and flowers and very much that very much that hippie movement and then act two starts with the tribe trying to summon claude who's gone away to his draft interview so he kept his draft card and um, they start taking hallucinogens. <laughs> Literally, they like trip out on stage and they, they especially Claude. And it's this. They act out tripping on stage. Yeah. No, duh, this is all. <laughs> um, they act that would out. That be kind of sick. They're like stage. actually like tripping shrooms. Yeah. Like, no. Just trying to do the. Do <laughs> That's the, what it's the called acting. <laughs> um, and so. Method like, acting not in this but yeah the the (laughs) the tripping out makes more political statements like historical figures show up and start like fighting and they they even like reenact the buddhist monk setting himself on fire on stage and all the actors at one point like lay it down dead and they start talking about the vietnam war and how senseless it is um claude is again doubtful about what to do right because he's done his draft interview but like he still can he doesn't have a choice, but they're they're rebelling, right? So the idea is that it's like, fuck the man. Mm-hmm. And so, but he, there's a snow scene and something where they worship a mattress. It's very weird. And Claude's <laughs> like, I don't want to live on the streets anymore. I'm going to go try. I'm going to go join the war. I'm going to go do this. So that's the choice. But the tribe notices he's gone. And then there's this like really powerful moment where Claude reenters. His hair is shaved in the military uniform. And he's like, like it or not, they got me. And then the finale depending on how it's done in the in the 2009 revival they did it where like all the actors were standing and claude is like going around them invisible to him invisible to them because he's left the group and they kind of all gather together and they start like sing shouting about like let the sun in let the sun shine in which is very much like let there be peace let there be hope um it's much more like than that sounds but then they all part and claude is lying there on american flag dead so wow okay so it came out it was about the late late 1960s when did this actually 1968 oh okay yeah this was one of the most timely musicals as it was created okay and so it's it's a very very politically driven musical with this like rock score and it really reflected the the time period like to a fucking t especially for a lot of young people um it represents how like the youth of america stood up and protested what they saw wrong in the nation at the time very much inspired by uh the protests against the vietnam war um but again like i said they make a lot of political commentaries um especially around race and sexuality pollution all of that um it's also like one of the things about it when you're looking at the trailer and, and you're watching other musical numbers, you don't really think about it, but it's actually a very smart show. Like it's very, very smart. There's references to Shakespeare, different parts of history, um, writer Ginsburg, Leroy Jones, uh, gone with the wind, like all of these literary references as well. Um, when it came out though, <laughs> on Broadway, the reviews were very mixed. Like, I'm I'm gonna pr- paraphrase. I, I would imagine that makes yeah. sense. Like if you're yeah. creating a you know very co- commentary oriented show, there's people that are gonna pick sides to that right. commentary. And so the the reviews are very definitely mixed. And I'm I'm gonna paraphrase a lot of the reviews here, but some people said it had no plot. Others said that it was like a collection of good vibes, and it was so unassuming. It was youthful and zesty. Um, but the talent of the cast was irrelevant because the show was so loony. <laughs> So like they just thought it was so weird. Um, I will say from Scott Miller's book that came out in 2001, he reflects on um, different movements in American theater. The book is called Rebels with Applause, Broadway's Groundbreaking Musicals. And so this is one of the best reflections I read about what the musical hair is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he says, quote, 
Some people can't see past the appearance of chaos and randomness to the brilliant construction and sophisticated imagery underneath. Not only did many of the lyrics not rhyme, but many of the songs didn't really have endings, just a slowing down and a stopping, so the audience didn't know when to applaud. The show rejected every convention of Broadway, of traditional theater in general, and of American musical in specific. And it was brilliant. So it shows how different it was, right? This also, this musical was the start of defining what a rock musical is. Now, I'm just going to question you here. If you had to guess from the musicals you know, which is not many. (laughs) Yes, uh, yeah, very, very deep. So what, if you had to guess, what are some musicals you might know that are rock musicals or considered rock musicals? Didn't they make a musical about Queen? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I you know I wouldn't put it past. Isn't there like a School of Rock? School of Rock, they did do one. Okay. Um. Oh. Uh. Didn't they do one about the Rolling Stones? No. Damn. Maybe they should. Some examples of rock musicals would be like Jesus Christ Superstar, okay. Godspell, The Wiz, Grease, Grease. Okay. Rent. Rent. Yeah. Spring Awakening. Don't know the last one, but three That's, of them. Whoa. You don't know Spring Awakening. We're going to do a whole fucking show on that because let's talk about German kids exploring their sexuality. Yeah. And that, okay. that's um, like super, we have to do that for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, fine I with know. that. You're just like, you don't know that. We have to do it. German it's kids just kind exploring of, their sexuality. Okay, like, it, how, what does that have to do with <laughs> that's the musical? That's the point of the musical. No, is I just think it was funny line. that you were like, you have to know that one. I'm like, yeah, anyway, it's revolutionary. But <laughs> um, so the other thing that this did was it popularized the idea of a concept musical. Now, I'm not even going to ask. I know you don't know what a concept musical is. I don't. Just just tell us. Just tell me. Yep. And the, the, the definition, the definition of a concept musical is, quote, which is a work of musical theater whose book and score are structured around conveying a theme or a message rather than emphasizing a narrative plot. People often attribute this popular popularization of concept musicals to a chorus line, but that's a lie because chorus line came out in 1975 and hair came out in 1968. So it's technically first, but chorus okay, line. Helped so it's less about the plot. It. And it's more about the message. Got it. The ideas. Yes, exactly. As I'm telling you all of this about this musical, right? This very incredibly powerful musical. I just want to show you their Tony, the Broadway revival 2009's Tony performance. Okay. So I'm going to send that. I have such a crush on Gavin Creel. I adore him. He was in Eloise, the movies. He plays the waiter. Oh, yeah. Great movie. That's him right there. So he plays Claude in the white shirt. And Berger is the guy that just appeared between the woman's legs. They're so talented. I know. So they actually do go out in the audience like this. This is a thing. It was a part of the show. And it was actually very, very revolutionary at the time that they just like broke all the walls. Oh, yeah. They're Not just literally, going into like, the audience. Just no, look at them. Like, that's, dancing with people. Like, that's Anne Hathaway. I love that at this Tony performance, they also spoke to the camera, too. Just having so much fun. So good. Yep. Yeah. So they get up with the audience and dance and all of that. So what are your impressions after seeing that performance? That concept of having like long hair and all different kinds of hair was such a contrast to the military, right? It was like this physical attribute that could be associated with rebellion Mm -hmm. and with just taking a completely opposite and different stance, right? Through physical appearance, which is pretty cool. So but I liked, you know, it was just, it was interesting. It's to kind of show the breadth of the show, right? And that's obviously the 2009 revival. That's not the original Broadway cast. Um, mm-hmm. That actually won Best Revival at the Tony Awards that year. Okay. Rightly so. So it it just basically, I needed to explain what hair was and show you to the best I could of like how revolutionary this musical is and was, right? Mm-hmm. And it really revolutionized what was acceptable on Broadway but not without consequence or tribulation. Here comes the 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 answer to my question. Mm-hmm. Right. So in February of 1970, right, hair had already been in New York for several years, but it's traveling, right? And it goes on tour, goes to different cities. Um, it was previewing hair was previewing at the Wilbur in Boston. And remember what previews are? Yeah, we talked yes. about that with Spider-Man yes. Turn Off the Dark. And so yes. the chief of licensing bureau, and they had like a city, like not a censor, but like a they like had people that went around the city that were like, what's appropriate, right? And, and chief of licensing bureau was one of those. His name was uh, Dick Sinnott. And he attended 
one of the preview performances and he brought a complaint to the district of attorney of Boston at the time and was like, okay. this is what he said about the show. Quote, I had the misfortune of viewing the worst collection of garbage I have ever seen on a Boston theater stage. It featured obscenity for the sake of obscenity, nudity for the sake of nudity, crudity for the sake of crudity. But the most sickening was the manner in which the American flag was degraded and used as some sort of symbolic dust rag. I understand the play was billed as a love rock musical, but what I saw highlighted hostility and hate. If this is art, then heaven help the theater. As a resident of Boston, I sincerely wish that I could halt this production. However, I am powerless to stop it, for although it violates every vestige of decency, it apparently does not violate any law. So this guy like goes and says this and makes a big fucking stink about it. He went to yeah. law enforcement agencies. He went to the state commander of the AMVETS, which is an organization yeah. that honors the entitlement of American vets. The district attorney, Garrett H. Uh, Byrne, said that he got several complaints about the production like people were just on his ass about it in boston mm -hmm. and it was specifically the nudity in the show the offensive gyrations and the destruction of the american flag when the boston herald reported on it they actually were like no people were really more upset about the desecration of the american flag than anything else well boston is i mean like one of the most patriotic cities in the country it would make sense as to like those people being upset about that even though they're obviously ignorant to what the actual message of the show was about but here's the thing senate was right in that it doesn't violate any laws but <laughs> yeah like so how did we get to the supreme court right so this is it's so petty it's great the district attorney only took this seriously because it was an election year and his opponent louise day hicks challenged him on it and he didn't want to receive backlash during the election year so he like made this a fucking thing that he was gonna go after at the time oh, right and geez. the cast i know the cast the producer whose name is michael butler and the wilbur even the theater that it was this touring show was performing in was like we need an attorney because this guy's gonna shut down the show and so they found uh gerald Gerald Berlin, who was known for being like a constitutionalist, being like, this is the Constitution's law, and he stud studies it intensively and all that. So he compiles this team, and essentially they get a small injunction from a local judge, um, which allowed them to continue prepping for the opening. But then this fucking district attorney man, Byrne, he personally got seven Massachusetts Supreme Court justices to attend one of the previews. Oh man. Yeah. You really just use those connections. He's like, yeah. Totally did. And so then, so the Supreme the Massachusetts Supreme Court said they were horrified at the show and immediately overturned the local judge's injunction. On April 9th, 1970, the state Supreme Court drafted a memorandum opinion declaring that hair did constitute an obscure form of protest protected by the First Amendment. So they were like, yeah, it's kind of protected by the First Amendment. But they said it could continue only under the conditions that all performers had to be reasonably closed at all times during the show, that all simulations of intercourse or any deviation of sexual intercourse had to be eliminated from the performance, along with the desecration of the flag. Censorship and just changing uh -huh. the story. Like it's part yeah. of the story, dude. Right. So they were, so that's what the Massachusetts. Yeah, you can keep going, but like we're going to take out essential elements of what the message you're trying to, you know, convey. Yeah. <laughs> and this Massachusetts Supreme Court was like, yeah, technically, but also fuck you. But then the cast was like, fuck that. And they voluntarily closed the show. They said they didn't want to adhere to the court's demands. So like as a form of protest and strike, the cast were like, no, we're not going to do it this way. We refuse. Yes. Berlin, being a really smart lawyer, got the press involved and started reporting on this of like censorship. Also commenting on the fact that like so many of these celebrities had seen hair in New York, like Robert Downing Jr.'s father, Robert Downing Sr., like even commented like to the, the writers, you don't know what you have here, like how good it is. Mm -hmm. Like, Carol Channing was backstage like people loved this show it was so good and well received in New York but Boston was like fuck you no we don't want this in our town no thank you essentially it after the Massachusetts Supreme Court it goes up to the United States District Court so the United States District Court was like dude you can't do this like Massachusetts I get it but you cannot change this show just for your town it's first amendment free speech fuck off 
And so the United States District Court overturned the ruling. But then... (laughs) Fucking Massachusetts, man. I never knew they were so conservative. Massachusetts Supreme Court, they were the ones who took the case to the Supreme Court. Not the not the theater, not the actors, none of it. Because the United States District Court was like, yeah, no, you can't. Like, they can do the show, right? Like, right. with all They're this like, public No, they court. can't. We're going right. to take it to the Supreme Court. So Massachusetts Supreme Court was like, fine, we're going above you. On May 22nd, 1970, the Supreme Court heard the case. Want to know what, want to guess what the result was? I'm pretty sure they ruled in favor of the show being able to continue. Actually, they didn't. It was a tie. Oh, dang. Four to four vote. There's eight. Oh, there's eight of them. Is there still eight? No, there's nine. Oh, okay. So at this time in history, there was only eight. Uh Uh-huh. So what they do when ties happen? That or someone abstained. Well, that's the thing. It's a four to four vote that Massachusetts in on either side, which means four Supreme Court justices were like, this is not censorship. And the other four were like, this is censorship. But because it's a tie, generally speaking, like 99% of the time, the ruling stands. And because it was the Massachusetts Supreme Court who was challenging the ruling of the United States District Court, which had already overturned Massachusetts, right. the ruling that it was not censorship still got to stand. Right. So the they US won District the theater. Court's ruling. Yeah. Yeah. They won. So that's how it defaulted. But what's so scary about this is one more vote could have changed the course of what theater censorship looked like and it could have been so close if the united states district court had not stepped in and been like no (laughs) like this is censorship but a four to four vote so either if there were nine at the time i'm not sure on the history of that so if there were nine at the time then someone abstained right which is a thing but in ties it usually tie goes tie goes to the standing rule i goes to the runner baby yeah, I knew that was yeah, but I don't actually understand how that phrase goes. I say that all the time in D and D, and it's like tie goes to the runner, and we're like, who's the runner in this case? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> know. yeah in this case, so it's the, the theater. In this case, right. the runner is the theater. So the theater wins. Hair wins as a show. It gets Broadway revivals and Tony Awards in two thousand nine. Nudity, defamation of the flag, and all. Um, and the lawyer Berlin, America. who this. I know this very much put his name on the map. He, when talking about how this musical and this case impacted him and looking back on the legacy, he says, quote, hair was the first and best rock musical. It defined a generation. And so that is the time that a musical was taken to the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> That's nuts. I mean, isn't I think it fascinating? It's- it's wild. I mean, I, I think always being able, you know, we talked about, I think, in the first episode how um, theater and baseball have been so ingrained in American society and culture. Yeah. Obviously, this is just a perfect example. And that's what's so cool is like sports and entertainment are things that are almost like like really originated in America as far as popularity goes, you know? Yeah, because of like the invention of media that's what I'm saying here yeah. and yeah right and so it it, it and, and it it created a lot of influence and power right it gave sports right. and entertainment power because it gave it because it was the ability to reach the masses and it was it was a bunch of people rallying around the same thing which is what how any change happens in any nation right and so what that's what's so cool is like this is a story where they're doing this political commentary and they are able to tell this amazing story to then be able to get this message out to the masses telling it through this medium of theater. And it, then it shows that how just how ingrained it is in culture for then like people to be like, no, screw this. Like, we're taking this to the Supreme court because it's un-American and then the Supreme court is like, well, the district court is like, no, actually it's like entirely American to be able right. to put on a show like this, like this, that is, it is American. It's what America is about, which is the ability to, for free speech and to be able to express right. like yourself you, and tell your, tell your story, how you want to tell it. Exactly. Like if you don't want to see the show, don't go to the fucking show. Right. Yeah, like, like, whatever even, it, like, 
It's not even the time of the internet where you're like, I need to protect my kid against internet porn. It's like, no, sorry, dude. It's like already out there. If your kid wants to find it, they will find it. Like that sucks balls for you. But like, there's ways to go about it, but it's like, yeah. Right. But this is like, just don't go see the show. But they were so offended. And because this guy, this one burn his fucking district attorney, because that was the other thing. And I didn't mention this, but like Berlin went to the police station and they were like, he was like, y'all, how serious is this? Right? Like, how do we need to be worried? And the police officers were like, we don't fucking care. We don't have time to be dealing yeah. with a censorship issue. We don't care. But the district attorney, because he had a stick up his ass, a stick named Louise Hay Dick or Hicks, she was like, no, you're going to make this an issue or I'm going to kick your ass in this election. And so he had to, or he felt like he had to. Well, and, and that's yeah. Like- and so it just went all the way. It exploded. Where, like I said, because if he, he had never brought the Massachusetts Supreme Court justices to the show, it wouldn't have fucking mattered. <laughs> Well, and and it's just the the total example of like politicians and like how re-election, right, which is a selfish endeavor, yeah, is which is crazy because it it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a public no. servant position. But anyway, like re-election has become this this selfish endeavor for power that then people start caring about issues because it affects their personal like votes they're gonna get. Which yeah, is agenda. nuts. I mean, it's yeah. nuts. Like, it's just so bonkers. So I know that's fascinating. It's, right. It's so interesting. And it's not something that, like I said, I did not know about this beforehand. Mm-hmm. I knew about the musical hair. I admittedly, it's not one of my favorite shows. I am not a concept musical person. I like a plot. Yeah. That, but that's me. That's a hundred percent like me. But there's a re- like personal preference. Got- yeah, exactly. There are still like two or three songs from this show that I really enjoy. I love hair. I love the finale of Let the Sunshine In Aquarius. I can stand like a good it's a good show for a reason. And it did define a generation and did revolutionize musical theater and where it was headed. Right. It wasn't until the 1980s that it really went back to like the mega musicals of like Phantom of the Opera and Lame is, you know, and, and those kind of ones. But this is a really an era of the set, a 60, late 60s, early 70s musical theater. It was so fun to learn about. And I was like, this case is fucking great. It's got some great detail. Um, so I, I just was thrilled to share it with you. It also feels timely and political and also just really funny to think about these like uppity people in the 1970s trying to stop a show in Boston. It's like, yeah, dude, like, when why it had you, already like, been in New York. Yeah. Like, why like, are we doing yeah. this? It's already been it's already been on the biggest stage. I mean, not quite yet Broadway, but it's already been in the biggest city. Like, oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. Like, just relax. I like, know. Not, and like actually pay attention to what the show's trying to say. Like the irony of it being this show that got challenged <laughs> and almost got canceled, right? Like that. Ah, it just speaks to it on so many levels. And it just, yeah. So I'm really, I was so excited to share this one. I was so excited. And and I appreciate you listening, uh, both John Michael and the figurative you of those listeners out there. But John Michael, what did you learn? I learned that people need to not have sticks up their butts and um, (laughs) (laughs) not care so heavily about something that doesn't really involve them or impact them. Uh, No, I mean, I learned, I learned more about how important it is that we allow storytelling to exist in this country and in the world, because being able in theater or film or nowadays, podcasts, books, you know, videos like for people to be able to express their perspective on what's happening, their experience of life and have a platform to be able to do so, I think is incredibly important. Yeah. Censorship is a really dangerous thing that has to be right? taken very be- seriously. Can you believe the fact that it was a 4-4 tie? That's four. Like, can you imagine yeah. what would have happened like yeah i'm very grateful that i'm very grateful that it worked out in in favor of the show and of theater because because i genuinely believe that that's that's a fundamental part of of what makes this country great and or can make it great is the ability for people to express themselves right yeah and be protected in that by the yep. law yeah so i learned that how just more even more how important that is 
Yeah. That's the biggest thing I learned. Because that's the thing, too, is that there's definitely, like, gray areas to a lot of this. Like, if the if the Wilbur had been, like, not in our theater, right? They could have gone to a different theater, right? But it was the right, fact that... But not that in our like, city. That's... Different. Right. That's yeah. weird. And so yeah. it's just, like... It's so interesting well, it where those Ameri- lines it sh- are. It shows the interesting part of America where it's like the the Democratic Republic, where it's like states obviously have their own rights, but then mm-hmm. the federal government, you know, has more power. And it, the, the power play there is very interesting, too. Well, and um, I was thinking of it, too, in terms of like people that get all pissy on social media about free speech on social media. And it's like, well, no, actually, you're using a product. You can still have your free speech, which means you can stand on a corner and like, Go say what you need to say, or write a book, or yeah. And the government can't come and like snatch you away, exactly. But the platform, right? But the business that created the social media platform is allowed to be like, no, you're spreading lies. Get the fuck off, right? Like you violated our policy, which you agreed to when you signed up, right? Yeah, that is what everybody forgets is that uh like you do agree to terms and conditions. Like nobody reads them, but (laughs) you do agree to them. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, so. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, and you have every right to go create your own platform if you'd like to do that. Exactly. Like, you have every right to do that. Yeah. Um, so anywho, but that's I just it's it's fun to learn about. It is more of a serious topic. But uh, we got to listen to some rock love rock musical theater. So yeah. you should you should. I actually think you would enjoy the soundtrack. I don't know if you would like the show, but I think you might like some of the vibes of the music. So you should okay. maybe try it out. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah. Okay. I definitely so, recommend I definitely recommend the 2009 revival, but that's again cuz I have a big crush on Gavin Creel. So hard yeah, not to. He's sexy. Beautiful man. And sing very well. That's my, that's <laughs> yes, my that's yeah. my stand for Gavin Creel and I'll let Jim Michael talk about baseball now. Okay. Okay, Kales. <laughs> Did you know that the best way to dominate on the mound is to trip balls? Wait. Are we talking about the same level of tripping we were just talking about with Oh, hair? we're talking about psychedelic tripping, baby. Shut the fuck up. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I need to explain to our listeners that we do not connect on what our stories are. They do not. No, have I have themes. no idea what whatever. We don't know what each other's going to do. We every have day. no every idea. Day. So the yeah. fact that we both just we've mentioned hallucinogens. Yes, <laughs> it's cool. It's a cool crossover. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> how you held that back when i was telling that story (laughs) so this is the story of a guy named doc ellis pitching a no hitter on lsd oh my god this is oh my god this is so how did we do this i'm still in awe of how this these connected so well just connected our our brainwaves are connected okay jesus christ so before for real so before we get into the uh, thalamus of the story, <laughs> where the fuck did you pull that word out of? The Come thalamus on. is what psychoactive drugs affect. Oh I mean, the God. center eye roll. <laughs> so before we get into the thalamus of the story, uh, that's the main part of the brain. The psychedelics influences. Um, I want to give you a little background on Doc Ellis, who he is. Okay. A little bit about his past before we get name. into Yeah, it is. So he was a fascinating man who, while making some questionable decisions in his youth, uh, definitely went on a major self-growth journey and contributed to the sport of baseball and larger society as a whole. Okay, so I just want to say that up front before I kind of dive into his... Essentially, you're like, he's not a dick. (laughs) No, he just... (laughs) He he made some dickish... He made made some some questionable decisions. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely some dickish choices, but he's not a dick. Yeah, okay. So Doc Ellis was an African-American pitcher that played in in Major League Baseball for 11 seasons, okay? The seasons were from 1968 through 1979. Oh, my God! So... So meanwhile, if he played for the Boston Red Sox, I'm done. No, like he did Okay, Pittsburgh Pirates, but <laughs> okay, but, not the same. But Pennsylvania, it's close. It's in that. Yeah, not that the same. Would have been. Would have been. But been. while hair is happening, okay, in Boston, this is what's going on in Pittsburgh, okay. But so but we're gonna go. We're gonna go back a little bit further, okay. Yeah, that's so fine. he grew up in Los Angeles, actually. And he has stated that he began using drugs and alcohol at the age of 14. Holy. Yeah, it's young. It's young. He was clearly a natural athlete, though, as his high school recorded him having 21 assists in one basketball game. 
that that's a lot just for reference. Okay? Yeah. However, his senior year of high school, he got caught smoking marijuana in the bathroom. Mm hmm. <laughs> And the school gave him an out saying they wouldn't expel him if he agreed to play for the high school baseball team. I, oh my God. I, <laughs> I knew that was going to piss you off. <laughs> I, you know, that would never happen if you were like the most talented singer on the planet and you yeah, were cut no. smoking marijuana, which if you're a singer, you should not be smoking marijuana anyway. But if you were the most talented fucking singer on the planet and the school caught you smoking marijuana, there would be no where ever in any fucking universe except maybe <laughs> high school goddamn musical where they'd be like hey you you have to star in the musical we're doing little shop of horrors you got to play fucking seymour or the dentist whatever your vocal range is or the beast in beauty and the beast and and you you and then you won't get expelled like never in any <laughs> uh, but all the oh. money goes to sports, baby. <laughs> all, the, all, all the money goes to sports. Okay. I'm seething so, and this hasn't even started yet. Okay. So going. Doc, Doc said yes. Okay. And then went on that year to be an all league player. After graduating high school, he went to a local junior college where he was actually diagnosed with sickle cell trait. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So. Sickle cell trait is actually a little bit different than um, sickle cell anemia. So sickle cell trait is the genetic disposition of the disease, whether which and sickle cell anemia is the manifestation of the disease. Yeah, it's kind of like HIV versus AIDS. Yeah, but it's still not great to have. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, and sickle cell, for anybody that doesn't know, is just a um, your blood vessels, your red blood cells aren't shaped like circles. They're shaped like like sickles. They have a little bit like a like a figure eight kind of. And um, that causes blood clots easier and, and less oxygen um, efficiency to the blood and all that. So it's not it's not great, especially for athletes. Um, so but then he, he was he did really well in junior college. Again, very talented athlete. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1964. But rather than receive the standard $60,000 signing bonus, the Pirates usually offered their draft picks. He only received a signing bonus of $2,500 because unfortunately, um, during that time, right before the draft, he was caught stealing a car. <laughs> so, <they're... laughs> so like, we'll still draft you, but we're not, not going to give you as much money. I swear to God, this guy had a crime in sports episode. Yeah. So again, like that's why I wanted to preface that like he had a major growth in his life, but this is his youth. Okay. So 1966 was his first full year of pro ball, and he had some decent success at all three levels of the minor leagues, which is single A, double A, and triple A. Then in 1967, the Pirates had him start out in triple A Columbus, a placement that Ellis believed was only due to his skin color. Uh. He said he said that the Pirates already had a decent amount of African-American players on their roster, and they didn't want to, quote, scare white fans, end quote. Okay, I'm and then and, and this is all relevant to his life. Yeah, okay. This is 1967 for I know context for everyone. I know. Okay. Um, so but then he was later sent down to double A because, quote, in his opinion, his hair was too long. <laughs> he claimed to have been promoted to triple Sorry, you can't you can't keep continuing with your story when you're talking <laughs> about somebody in 1968 that was getting demoted because they're hair was too long <laughs> in reference to what I just spoke about for damn near 45 minutes. It's wild. What wild. is happening? <laughs> you know, what's funny is because like I wrote this beforehand. So like, I don't remember all of the, you know what I mean? So like yeah. when I'm going through it, I'm like, Oh wow, that is crazy. Like I don't even remember writing that, but okay. Give me so, yeah. <laughs> Doc Doc then claimed to have been promoted to AAA once he shaved his head. I can't with the war and the, I. Uh, okay. <laughs> this experience of his would later become vital in his advocacy for African American rights in baseball and in the United States. Yeah, well, they're letting them have mullets now. It's like a thing in the Brewers, anyway. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah. Sure. Now, at this point, Ellis is still a young kid finding his way, and he's making questionable decisions. Right, stealing cars still doing drugs like you know th those are having consequences yeah okay? one gay there's a story of like 
of him where one game in the minors, he actually chased a heckling fan into the stands with a bat in his hand. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I really hope that fan fucking deserved it, though. Yeah, I know yeah, that's like, like not an appropriate response. I'm yeah. fully well aware of that. But we don't know what the fans said, but I bet you it was know. something racist. It, potentially knowing doc ellis and, and knowing the time i'm just um, along with stories like that he was also constantly using the amphetamines benzedrine and dexedril every single time he pitched Ugh, that's bad that's bad yeah yeah so he said he was very stressed by the pressure of being a quote can't miss prospect end quote and became addicted unable to pitch without the drugs okay can't yeah, okay, miss prospect it. yeah it's like Oh, this prospect's gonna be the big leagues, you know. And then, like, if yeah. you fail, everybody's like, "Oh, it's the well, same... he was a bust," you know. Yeah, it's the same same type of thing of when the kid takes uh, Adderall to focus, even though they're like a straight A student. It's this terrible fear of failure and the pressure that you are like this huge somebody, and if you don't hit that, then you're not. And so, it, it definitely makes sense. It's not great. It's a poor life choice, but I understand the motivations behind it for sure. Yeah. So still doing that. He was having success. He was called up into the big leagues in June 1968. Um, Yep. Started out as a relief pitcher, but after much success was moved into the starting rotation. He went six and five that year with a 2.51 ERA, which we've already talked about ERA in previous episodes. That's a good ERA. Then in 1969, he went 11 and 17, but he had over 200 innings pitched and a 3.59 ERA. So, okay. Solid year. Okay. So now we're caught up. Okay. Third year in the big leagues. Yep. You know who Doc Ellis is. You have some background into his life, his career decisions leading up to this no hitter. Okay. Oh the stage can you, is set. Can you very, very quickly tell theater fans oh. what a no hitter is. Yes. If it's one person that does the no hitter, which is this case, the starting pitcher pitches all nine innings, which is there's three outs an inning. That would be 27 total outs in a game in that game if you pitch a no hitter that means that no there was no hits you gave up zero hits in that entire game you might have given up a walk or a hit by pitch or there might have been an error but nobody got a hit um that is a very very special thing in baseball that's a very hard thing to do um and i will explain i'll go more into the stats of how difficult that is a little bit yeah. later in the episode no that's that's just it's good to know and have that context because yeah. you know some people might be coming at this where they have no idea um the level of which that difficult it's very very hard thing is to accomplish yeah exactly it's very very hard okay so <laughs> i'm gonna set the stage here do it but um Dear God, just tell the story. <laughs> okay. All right. It's Thursday, June 11th, God, 1970. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm setting the scene. Okay. It's in 1972 when all this is going down. Yes. So June, you said? It's June 11th, 1970. Okay. So the hair Supreme Court case has already been passed. We're good. Okay. Because that was San in San Diego International Airport. Air- Pittsburgh- airport? With- can you just let me tell the story <laughs> i'm sorry i was gonna I'm make trying to set the scene i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to give people a visual it's imagery it's like we're transporting people through audio into 1970 i'm trying to okay. set the scene i already took them there you just have to keep them there yes well you're you interrupting me pulls them out sorry <laughs> airport i'm not going to the airport okay it's thursday june 11th 1970 at the San Diego International Airport. The Pittsburgh Pirates have arrived early for a doubleheader tomorrow against the San Diego Padres. Since the team has the day off, Doc Ellis turns to his manager, Danny Murtaugh, and asks if he can go home to L.A., knowing he doesn't pitch until the second game the following evening. Danny says, yeah, all right, just be back in time for your start. Oh, if only Danny knew how close Doc would cut it. Congratulations, you've won an audiobook award. Thank you. <laughs> so, stepping out of narration mode. <laughs> I let you finish. Yeah, thank you. Ellis went home and doing what most people did on their off days in the late 60s and early 1970s, he took a tab of LSD and went over to his friend's girlfriend's house to hang out, quote, high as a Georgia pine. Jesus. Quote. Fucking <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. How old is next... he at this time? 
Huh? Do you know how old he is? How old he is? Um, let's look it up. He was born in 1945, so he would be 25 years old. Oh, my God. Okay. My age. Oh, boy. Okay. So the next day, after taking another tab of acid in the middle of the morning, <laughs> his friend's girlfriend why, asked why he wasn't in San Diego because he had to pitch that night. Well, Doc still thought that it was Thursday. <laughs> and we know this scientifically. Time distortion is a huge thing with psychedelics. You, is you, it? You I lose, actually did not know this. Oh, yeah. You lose all sense of time. You, oh. Things feel like they last hours, days, minutes. Like Because time, God, no, time is like happening. Not- time is happening. But time perception is something that happens neurologically. That so, just sounds like a really horrible goddamn motherfucking nightmare. Anyway, for Doc, he's about it. So, right, he's still tripping because he took another tab of acid, right? And so he was like, no, 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 I don't pitch till tomorrow. And she had to show him the paper that it was like Friday, right? And he was like, you're pitching, okay? So he was like, oh, crap. He probably hopped on a 3 p.m. flight and made it to the Padres Stadium by 4.30 p.m. when the game started at 6. (laughs) 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 Okay. Don't worry. I guess he made it back. The, the the coach was like, just make it back. And he did yeah, technically he do did that. Technically do that. Um, don't worry though. Okay. While he was tripping balls, he made sure to stop by and see his drug dealer and get a couple of pills of benzidine to make sure he was really good and focused. <laughs> Wait, okay. So hold on. I need to just double check. So the previous evening he took LSD. Then earlier that morning, he took more acid, and then uh-huh. now he just is about to have some ben ben at what benzidine, benzidine, which is an amphetamine, which is a stimulant. Oh, okay. So he's and high he as still has sickle pine, <laughs> and he still has sickle cell. Okay, great, cool. I'm caught up. Goes into the game. Okay, get warmed up. Right. So he goes in the game. He said both the opposing team and his team knew that he was high. They just didn't know what he was high on. <laughs> Wait, and they let him play? 100%. He pitched every Why? game high, remember? <laughs> okay. Doc's account of the game goes like this. I can only remember bits and pieces of the game. I was psyched. I had a feeling of euphoria. I was zeroed in on the catcher's glove, but I didn't hit the glove too much. I remember hitting a couple of batters, and the bases were loaded two or three times. The ball was small sometimes. The ball was large sometimes. Sometimes I saw the catcher. Sometimes I didn't. (laughs) Sometimes I tried to stare the hitter down and throw while I was looking at him. I chewed my gum until it turned to powder. They say I had about three to four fielding chances. I remember diving out of the way of a ball that I thought was a line drive. I jumped, but the ball wasn't hit hard and never actually reached me. (laughs) One time I covered first base and caught the ball at the same time I touched the bag and thought to myself, I just scored a touchdown. (laughs) I have not stopped shaking my head. The guy is so high. (laughs) Okay. So Doc's stat line for the game is as follows. I don't know if I want to know these numbers. Okay. Nine innings pitched. Dear God. Zero hits. Zero runs. Oh, my God. Zero earned runs. Oh, my God. Eight walks. (laughs) That's okay. That's the one thing that it's like, okay. Mm, yeah. Six hit by pitches. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking athletic trainer of the of San like Fran. Fucker. San Diego. <laughs> like, stop <laughs> it. just bruises everywhere. All the arnica. Oh my and, God. Uh, and uh, the Pirates won two to nothing. <laughs> so now this is absolutely insane. Because pitching a no-hitter is one of the hardest things to do in sports, okay? Not just baseball. It's one of the hardest things to do in sports, let alone doing it on acid, <laughs> okay? And, bez- bez- and benzene. Okay? There ha- okay, for context, there have only been 322 no-hitters thrown in 238,500 Major League Baseball games. That is a percentage. Pers- what 0.135% of games played major league baseball games played end in a no hitter and this dude did it on acid on acid (laughs) two tabs 
<laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh. yeah, it's incredible. So Ellis would go on, would continue to go on and pitch another eight years. And he actually won a World Series title with the Pirates the following year in 1971. Was he fucking high for that, too? I don't know. Oh my I don't know. God. Like, how? I, I just. Poss- probably. Probably. <laughs> you know what I would give to have a video camera back then? <laughs> Can you imagine filming that game? Like what? What is up with this guy? <laughs> Can you imagine? Dead serious. Like the announcers would just be like all over that. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! So and he hits it out to right, and he hits it out to right field. Oh no! Uh, Ellis is there, and he touches the bag, and he gets the ball, and he's doing a touchdown dance. Is he trying to? <laughs> he does he think he's at Lambeau Field? He's jumping into the the Lambeau leap. Ellis like, dives <laughs> out of the way on a bunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah (laughs) so they did say that like he was like in in, like in any no hitter it's like a big thing about no hitters that like in every no hitter there's like one amazing play that always gets made like defensive play like a diving catch in the outfield or like robbed home run or like a you know sick play on the infield uh yeah they said in this game there was like three or four of those so like mother of god yeah his, his defense was helping him out for sure like i said earlier Ellis was quite the character who definitely had an interesting youth and and made some some questionable decisions. I don't but, know how questionable though. Like at this point, it's like, well, LSD. I get a hit. He made like, some. He made some interesting choices. I, I mean, I can't say it's poor. The guy threw a no hitter. Like I, don't I know. know. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, as far as sustainability and like overall, yeah, no, that's life, fuck. Yeah, that's that's not really going well. Um, but his growth as an adult was evident. Okay, he retired from the game in 1980 and immediately after went to a rehab center where he got clean and then he actually became a drug counselor in Victorville, California, um, as well as a prison counselor. All right. Yeah, so pretty cool. Um, Jackie Robinson acknowledged that Ellis was a huge advocate for African-American rights in baseball and in America. And Ellis also testified before the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Public Health about his experiences with sickle cell trait. And he donated lots of money to research on the disease. Cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. So pretty dope. Um, I'm still like not convinced that he didn't cheat, though. Right. Like I'm I want to know. How do you cheat a no hitter? I don't know. I just feel like everybody else is there. <laughs> There's an official scorekeeper for the MLB. But how is this? Okay, I'm honestly curious. Like, how is this any different than the steroid thing we talked about on a different episode? Right? Like, obviously they weren't being tested. No, no, but 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 but, but what I'm saying is theoretically by the rules, which yes are set later in place during the steroid era. Right? This is obviously earlier. Uh huh. By those rules, he was obviously on things that did enhance parts of brain. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't. Where is that line? And did they ever discuss that line? It's not a line because the rule wasn't made. The line right, only exists is when this the rule was made. Is this one of those instances like the How I Met Your Mother sign episode where like the origins of the sign? Did they make a rule based off of this? Like. Was there any consequences? No, they, they didn't know. He didn't. He didn't make it public until 1984. What okay. did you? What did you want to happen? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what's bothering me is like how morally gray this area is. Because on the one hand, we talked we talked at length about cheaters and steroids and that type of thing, and it's like, well, technically they took drugs to enhance their performance. Could the same be argued that Doc Ellis did the same thing? by taking drugs to enhance his performance. When he was on that much acid, he pitched a no-hitter. And yes, arguably, his defense was there, the whole deal, but like, did that actually help his game? And is it cheating? Or because of the type of drug he was taking, right? Because like, if you take a Benadryl and you fall asleep on the mound, obviously that's not cheating, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's not enhancing your game. I'm just like, this is, it's, just given what we talked about in the other episode, right? Like we went into lengths about the steroid era and it, it it's just interesting to me that like, I don't know that there wasn't further action taken. I just don't think they cared. Like back then they just didn't care. So they only cared when 
it, the steroid era was like breaking records and like yes <laughs> because I it was know. clear as day the guys were huge and hitting and and demolishing records but you just said that it was clear to the team his team and the other team that he was on something yeah he also said that 90 percent of the league was on benzadine back then i'm just but i'm not talking about benzadine i'm talking about fucking lsd like it's just i think that most people would argue that like lsd it nine times out of ten is not going to help you be better at sports. I don't know, man. I just think it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, think if I, you, I think if you had Doc Ellis pitch that game 10 times on LSD, like he, he would have sucked 9.99% so of the time. So this is, so you're just saying that this is like major coincidence in terms of like how this all played out. Absolutely. I think you it's don't an think incredible the LSD fluke. Had- that, so you think it's a fluke. You don't think LSD had anything to do with it, whereas the steroids you think are like direct correlations with the, the things that they I, re- I think the, it depends on the kind of drug. I think like knowing what LSD does to the brain, which causes hallucinations and like it causes lack of focus, right? Like, yeah, uh, which benzene creates focus. That's what stimulants do. But like it's 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 literally a lack of focus. I think like understanding the nature of the drug and how it affects the brain and the body matters when you're determining if it's an advantage or not. I don't think LSD in any way, shape or form is an advantage to playing any kind of sport. I That's what makes this even more incredible was the so fact that he threw a no hitter on a dr- uh, tripping balls. Like, like, you know what most people do when they trip balls? They like no. sit in their house and they like <laughs> fucking freak out or they like go into nature and they're just like, sitting there like seeing shit they don't they don't do stuff like some people do but like most people just it's not smart it's not smart to do hallucinogens and go into public places (laughs) because like okay perfect example you could be on a hallucinogen and you could think that like you have the ability to fly and so you could jump you wings yeah you could jump off a bridge that's you can't fly but that's why most people that do drugs, they have people there like hallucinogens. If you're doing it smartly, then you have somebody there that is like sober and able to take care of you. So you're not doing stupid so, things. OK, so I don't know. I guess I wanted <laughs> I did. I wanted some reconciliation to be like, you did not deserve this fucking no hitter. He does deserve it. Why? Because it's incredible. It's incredible. Bananas. It's incredible that he was able to throw no hitter, no hitter tripping balls. Okay, so tell me this then. Your thought is that taking LSD would not, on average, help pitchers. Correct. Okay. I guess that makes more sense. I just am, I don't know. I'm just versus stunned. like testosterone, which increases muscle growth and therefore power and strength, definitely helps. <laughs> Right. I, I mean, sure. 10 out of 10 times. If you're doing steroids, <laughs> like you are better at that. Steroids is sing better, sing approved for yeah. For for increasing sports performance. Like L- LSD. LSD is not. LSD is not. I just I I don't know. I think it's God, it's just wild. That's just weird. It's I just think, weird. Well, here's some fun facts. Okay? Oh my god. He came public with his story about pitching his no-hitter on LSD in 1984, and the information immediately spread throughout pop culture. Barbara Manning paid tribute to him by writing a psychedelic song called Doc Ellis. James Blagden made an animated short film called Doc Ellis and the LSD (laughs) (laughs) No-No. Okay. And even Robin Williams mentioned Ellis in his 2009 HBO special Weapons of Self-Destruction. Yeah, it's not his best special, but yeah, no, I remember that. It's completely famous in not only Major League History, but the history of America, and it's something that was super fun to learn about. I personally never knew anything about this story. So how did you, how did it come about in your life? How did I Like, how did you learn about it? Yeah. Um, I looked up craziest baseball stories. <laughs> really? <laughs> this yeah. This is one of the ones about that. <laughs> Yeah, and I saw I it, and I was it. like, he pitched a uh, no-hitter on LSD. Yeah, I'm going to look into that one a little bit more. <laughs> That's crazy. Nice. So, McKaylee, what did you learn? I learned that I have a really hard time with players being on 
Yeah, apparently. Apparently, I have like a huge, a huge issue with that shit. You were um, caught up. You were like, it should be rescinded, right? I'm like, no. Okay. I mean, I guess I also learned that we are on a weirder wavelength about hallucinogens than I ever would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also that apparently you can make it to a baseball game with an hour and a half to spare and still be tripping and pitch a no hitter, which just boggles my mind. Incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive. Wild. Um, Absolutely wild. So yeah, the coolest part of the story to me though, is that like he literally went on to become a drug counselor. I think that is cool. Um, The last thing I'll say about, about doc Ellis is he actually was quoted saying like when he came out the story, he was saying it was actually a big regret because he didn't get to remember like one of the most historic moments of his life. You know what? That's the reconciliation I was looking for. That'll work for me. I'll take it. Not okay. jail time, not being rescinded, but the fact that he can't fucking remember it because <laughs> he wasn't in the moment and he wasn't present and yep. he was not actually doing his best in that. Fine. I'll take yep. that. That's what he said. Justice so. served. I feel better now. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> we can close out All with right. that. That's- yeah, there we go. Well, um, I'm Kale's. I'm John Michael. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you learned something with us today. Bye, everybody. Bye.